This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. I'm Helen Farmer. You are listening to Eye on Education. We had a whole host of experts as we looked at languages on today's episode. Starting with speech and language therapist Mary Katow, addressing some of the obstacles but also the benefits for cognitive function in our children for learning multiple languages and addressing some concerns that you had about speech delays as well. And we were bringing in the educators too, looking at how language looks in today's schools and asking the tricky question of why so many children, even Arabic speakers, really don't like learning that subject. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Super interesting to hear what's coming in on the text line regarding Arabic being your children's least favourite languages. Um, We're going to be getting to the bottom of that in an hour's time. First, though, we're in conversation now with Mary Katow. She is a speech and language therapist, and we've had questions on developmental delays, when and why you might need a speech therapist, even why our children might have a different accent to us. Mary, how are you? Helen, thank you so much for having me. I'm fine, thank you. We love chatting. It's always so busy whenever you join us because I think it's one of these things as parents, we can't help but compare our kids to their siblings to their peers mm-hmm. and speech and language as well as obviously those physical um, is, is something that we do tend to get a bit concerned about and I wondered you know we are going to be talking a little bit about language um, in the show today as I said I've had a question about about lisps um, about mm-hmm. something called mixed expressive receptive disorder that came in on social media earlier we're going to come to that but I, I wanted to open up a little bit first before we go to the text line and ask about some of the common challenges in Dubai. I guess what's been keeping you busy since you arrived here? Have you noticed any trends or patterns? You know, I actually think that they're the same everywhere. Um, When we are dealing with children with speech, language and communication, we have children that have got difficulties in the five main areas that we deal with. So it's not just talking, it's not just speech sounds. We also um, have children that have difficulties with attention and listening, um, sustaining their play to um, one of the activities that they're doing. Instead, they're moving around uh, between activities. Uh, we have children that have difficulties with social interaction. So that could be, you know, uh, that confrontation of looking at and talking to somebody, um, you know, as, as you would expect, uh, or maybe they don't have the motivation yet or the understanding why you would need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, then we've also got um, some uh, children that have difficulties with play um, and their behaviour. So uh, they might be um, uh, throwing toys or, or breaking them or they might be um, kind of at an earlier stage of play where they should be a little bit more developed mm. um, and then we also have the understanding um, being able to follow instructions and then they're talking what words that, that they're using so wow. uh, typically <laughs> we all we see the children that have difficulties in these areas so um, but what dif- is different about Dubai which you've picked up on because that's the theme of the show is that children are obviously uh, sorry typically multilingual here um, and uh, that's you know raises a lot of questions to parents mm-hmm. um, you know about what they should do and if they should be exposing to their children to other languages if they're having a difficulty in their first language so that, that's more of a question that we've got but the children that we see are the same everywhere. Well we've had yeah. questions about being bi and trilingual 
even mm-hmm. quadlingual is that a thing but you know I was thinking <laughs> about my daughter's friends and you know there's there's multiple kids in her class who will have parents of different nationalities they're learning English at school then you throw mm-hmm. Arabic in the mix it's really fascinating we are going to we are going to talk about that very soon but before that I want to talk about language in general and I guess Mary asking you about you know maybe if you could explain the importance of language development in children you know how does it contribute to that overall cognitive and social growth why is it such a crucial building block um, that's an excellent question. Um, it's really the way all of these areas that I've talked about are the way that the children are exploring the world and they're exploring their relationships with other people. Um, and this is giving them experiences and they're either going to be positive or negative um, that build kind of a, a framework and their perceptions of what that experience is going to be like. So really, it's our job to um, give them um, uh, experiences that are fun, that they want to come back to, that they enjoy um, and that they're having fun with, that they're successful at. And then that's going to help them to want to develop that curiosity more and more. So, um, you know, they, these skills impact lifelong um, lifelong skills that can do with um, finding jobs, that can do with maintaining relationships with others, that can um, relate to academic assessment, uh, sorry, attainment as well and their success with attainment at school. So it's very, very crucial, really, um, that we kind of develop a joy and a love for it in the early years and as early as possible when they're, when they're as young as possible. Well, we're going to be helping out every who's been in touch so far on the text line. We've had um, messages about exactly that, multi-languages. Um, we've had a message about, you know, my child, four-year-old has a lisp. Does she need any language therapy help? Um, and I, I'm also kind of curious to get an idea about some of the cognitive benefits of bi and trilingual children, but also some of the challenges that children might face. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai. Well, we are going to be speaking to the educators after four about language in schools and addressing why a lot of children really don't enjoy learning Arabic there. So this is something that's resonating with you guys. Make sure you stay with us. We're talking speech and language now with therapist Mary Katow and discussing bi-trilingual children. Uh, Bashar joining us now. How are you, Bashar? Hi, Helen. I'm good. Thank you very much. Now, now I said earlier how boring I felt that, you know, I'm married to another Brit. And we basically only speak English at home. Tell us about your family setup and some of the languages. Uh, yeah, I'm an Arab. I speak Arabic and English. Uh, my wife is from Poland. She speaks Polish and English. Our son is two years old. Um, I tend to speak to him in Arabic just to teach him the language. My wife tends to speak to him in Polish so she can teach him the language. Mm-hmm. Now, the nanny that comes speaks English. The content that he watches or looks at in books is also English. Now, he's mainly understanding everything spoken to him in all languages, but sometimes tends to reply or respond in English, mm-hmm. or uh, he he says he pats back what I tell him. Okay. Like, yeah, I, I'm just asking, will this have any effect in the future or... Because everything seems to be fine so far. I think I think it sounds absolutely amazing. So he's two years old, Mary. What comes to mind to Bashar, his wife, and I guess other families in this situation, raising little ones with multiple languages in the home? 
Um, well, hello, Vishal, and uh, thank you. And I think Helen's right. That does sound quite amazing, really, uh, because you're doing the right thing by giving your best language model, which is your first language, Arabic. Your wife is giving her best language model, which is uh, Polish. Um, and then the maid is doing uh, her best, I assume, with the with English. Um, and also uh, education will likely be in English. So um, bilingualism is not the cause of any um, speech, language and communication delays. Um, uh, that That's there's all the research supports the fact that that that's not the case at all so um really uh children that tend to choose one language they have a preferred language that they respond in um and uh they it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have the same capacity in all three of these languages like one is definitely going to be stronger than the others uh, eventually uh, possibly it's going to be english because that's what education is in mm. but um you know, sometimes repeating back your language can be um, just a kind of a placeholder fit for language. So he knows it's his turn to say something which is excellent. He just doesn't quite know what to say yet. So one thing that you can try with him is giving him um, the language for what you might expect him to say back. Um, that might be a better thing for him to be repeating to you um, and an expected response to whatever you've said to him, whatever instruction you've given, whatever question that you've said. So if you just say to him, ah, oh, you know, um, I, uh, yes, I can get my shoes, if that's what you've asked him to do, get his shoes, then that's giving him the language that he might need in whatever language that you've decided to use at that time. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it kind of makes sense because I say the, the, the shoes in Arabic, which is boat or boot. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, grab your boat. He knows what mm-hmm. to do. So he either says boat again or he would say shoes sometimes. That's perfect. That's exactly what you want to know. And uh, does he do it while actually doing the action of getting his shoes? Is it combined yeah, together with the action? Yeah, well, that's yeah. showing that's yeah. showing understanding at this point, Vishal. So it all sounds really, really good to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> keep in mind that um, we've talked about this with Helen before. That the thing is with um, children that have more than one language is that they can appear that they know less language um, because they are differentiating between the different language systems. They tend to stay a little bit quieter until they uh, uh they're ready to talk because they may have learned two words in Arabic, one in Polish, one in English. So it seems that they've got less words. But he's using his with you, which is an excellent sign. Um, yeah. Can I ask you also, um, Mary, for Bashar and I guess other other families, what about other resources? You know, can it be useful to be watching things in those languages, you know, books and songs? Can that be a support too? Absolutely. And, you know, even if you don't have those resources to hand because you can't find them, um, you can use books, especially picture books, and then be talking about them in your target language. So at home, I try to do that with my little one in Greek. <laughs> um, and, uh, 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 you know, th- this is a really good way to do it. Or you could use familiar songs um, that you can use in your you can um, use your home language for. So definitely, definitely use singing because it was recently found. Well, we always knew this, but researchers recently decided to support the fact that singing and, uh, you know, that high pitched voice and um, uh, lots of uh, interesting intonation is what really captures children's imagination and helps with that language development there. So, uh, Helen, that's an excellent, excellent point. Yeah. For sure. Anything else we can help with today? Anything else that's on your mind? Yes. My eight year old daughter, I'm really having a hard time with Arabic. 
Oh, interesting <laughs> and somewhat ironic. <laughs> um, is, this, is, this, is this resistance in school? Does she not want to speak Arabic with you at home, Bashar? What's going on? No, she, she's very comfortable talking English. When she was raised, she was raised on English somehow. We, we went wrong with her, the first child, you know. <laughs> they're, often, uh, they're often the guinea pigs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Aww. laughs> so, so we're having a hard time with her you know, trying to learn the language. So I guess that's a, a good question in terms of, I'm not saying, you know, you know it, she's, she's only eight, but once you get into these, you know, language and behaviour patterns um, as, as a family, you know, can you adjust things a little bit? Any, any advice there? And we are going to be speaking to an Arabic teacher in about an hour's time, so make sure you're with us, Bashar. But from, yeah. from your point of view, Mary, in, in terms of integrating... Yeah, definitely. I think that the Arabic teacher will have some excellent ideas too. But what I would do is I would assume that she's just most comfortable in English because that's what she's using with her friends. You know, that's what she's using at school. It's the one that she identifies most with. But the strategies I would use is to bring the joy and that spark back to uh, learning in a way that she doesn't know she's doing it. So with um, uh, her favourite books or um, songs, it's the same idea. You just use those uh, to, to bring joy to, to the whole experience of learning Arabic. Joy is really the first and the most important thing that we need to motivate our children. So if you can find whatever she's interested in, a book or a, a, you know, a, a TV show, a series, and then you can, um, you know, you can talk about it or you can do games or you can um, find a version that's in Arabic, then that might be a key really um similarly we used to use comic books um in other languages for children to support them and in english as well to support them so that would be my first port of call really to, to try and bring that joy back Vishar. so yeah films friends do we need to convince taylor swift to do an arabic version album i'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. I, I'd, I'd support you in this Bashar. thank you so much some brilliant questions there and it sounds like you're all doing an absolutely you too doing an amazing job there it's coming up to half past three. We're, we're keeping America Tower with us. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Royal Grammar School Guildford, Dubai. We're talking language. We're talking languages in schools after four o'clock today. But right now, it is speech and language therapist Mary Katow who's joining us. She is both a parent and also um, a linguist as well. I was talking earlier about you speaking Greek to your little one. And we are talking about being bi or trilingual. We can help with all sorts of different issues on the show this afternoon that people might be struggling with. Um, We've had a message here saying, uh, my four-year-old daughter has a lisp. Does she need speech and language therapy? Um, Mary, would you mind me breaking it down in terms of why lisps happen? Um, what you need to keep an eye on? Can they correct themselves? And, and when is expert help required? Um, so you may remember I've told you that I've had a lisp forever because I sucked my thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, you know, I would say that it does it does require some support to correct. I mean, it's really hard to self-correct and, um, you know, uh, ch- children need to build their awareness about it. So why it might happen is sucking thumb. Uh, it might be extended dummy use or bottle use that can have the similar effect. Or it might just be um, the position that the, te- the teeth are in. If there's a gap between the bottom teeth and the top teeth, then uh, typically there will be a lisp that follows. So um, it could be genetic or it could be because of some causation in the environment, like dummy bottle or thumb sucking. So mine was thumb sucking. Um, and um, uh, definitely it, it's... 
it's important to think about whether it's impacting your daughter's confidence. Because um, for me, I would try to avoid words with S in, and I see that typically with children. I've got a little girl at the moment who's uh, generally quiet and choosing not to talk. And I think these are the dangers of not not um, addressing it. So yes, it's minor, but it can also correct quite quickly. So um, I think that at four years old, she's got enough attention and uh, listening skills to be able to sit and look and copy what I'm doing with my mouth um, so that she has that correct tongue placement. It's not easy because you have to know what you're doing with every, all parts of your body at the same time. And you can try um, uh, just to start off some awareness for her blowing um uh, through a straw into water because that actually helps with the tongue placement. You're hiding your tongue behind your teeth. You've got the tongue um, at the tip of the straw. Um, so that's an activity that you can start with. But it's definitely useful to see a speech and language therapist uh, because in a few sessions we can correct that really. Wow. Um, and it's amazing. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned kind of tongue placement there. Um, what about mm-hmm. if there's been a tongue tie or a lip tie? And is that something that you've helped families with in the past, Mary? Yeah, I mean, in the UK, um, there's no research to show that this actually contributes to speech difficulties. If it is hand in hand with feeding difficulties, then it's something that we might look at. But in Dubai, it's very different um, uh, because it's just one kind of small laser cut. um, Parents tend to opt for it. Uh, But there's no research that actually shows that it's causation for um, uh, speech difficulties, especially if they're doing all the other mouth shapes, uh, you know, like saying E, U, R, sticking their tongue out, wagging their tongue from side to side. So um, there's no actual link, but parents might opt to um, in this country. Okay. Yeah, good to know. Um, no name. And this message actually came through on social media saying, my son is 12 and has mixed expressive receptive disorders. Okay. Says he's facing serious issues at school, schools and helping, feeling very lost. I... I've never heard of this before and I I don't know if you're able to help, but I wanted to put it to you because this parent did sound really concerned. So MURD, she says, mixed expressive receptive disorder. Mary, what is this? So this is why I don't use these words, because I think that if a parent is stressed and upset and anxious, then why are we bamboozling them with more jargon? Mm. Uh, really, that means that we've got a mix of talking and understanding difficulties. So that that's quite complex because um, you don't know. It's quite hard to judge um, you, you know, somebody's understanding. It's quite hard to target in therapy as well. Um, but there are lots of things that we can do. So essentially, expressive means the talking side of it and receptive means the understanding side of it. So that sounds very much like a developmental language disorder to this mum. And if she goes, we did talk about it last time, there's a a website called um, uh, Raddled, I think. Gosh, I've forgotten the acronym now. If you just put developmental language disorder um, UK into the um, search engine, there's lots and lots of information to support really. Um, But one really important step might be to help um, give some information to teachers and there's lots of um, kind of posters and fact sheets that are on that website that we can hand to the school so that they're a little bit more aware of what that looks like really. Thank you for that. Um, with your permission, I'll connect you um, with, yeah, this, with this mum. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, brilliant. Mary, with us today. Yeah. Um, we've had a message here. We've actually had a couple of messages about accents. And I find this idea about accents in the UAE really interesting because I, you know, my friends from home be like, your kids sound American. And I'm like, no, they don't. But I guess sometimes there's like an international mm-hmm. accent sometimes. We've had one message um, asking um, about, you know, we've my 
kids were born here to English and Iranian parents. They don't speak either of those languages. They've got more of an American accent or a Dubai English accent. And one here saying, can you please address accents and why a child might have a different accent to parents and teachers? He's seven. I'm from India, studied and worked in the UK. Husband is British, born and bred. My son's accent is totally different. He mixes his T's and D's sound a lot. We speak two Indian languages at home regularly, but and he consumes British and American content regularly too. Interesting. Accents. Is that something you can help us with? Just shed a bit of light, Mary. Um, it is. But, um, it is interesting, but it's not something that we would technically um, support with because if it's not affecting their intelligibility, it's not affecting their uh, their um, ability to express themselves or to talk or to get their message across, um, then it's not really impacting them. It's just a product of the environment, really. So, um, you know, often, uh, sorry, I, don't, I didn't catch how old that child was, Seven. but seven sometimes they can grow out of it but um it just is a product of the environment that they're in really and um you know i I often find that children um you know might grow out of it but it's not necessarily the case but it's not something that we would help with in speech and language therapy unless it was impacting other people's understanding of him or her i mean it's impacting my annoyance levels when my (laughs) when a (laughs) six-year-old is sounding like she's a youtuber and i'm like and Mm. less ipad time for you um mary thank you so much for your time today really really helpful across a whole range of topics love having chats we'll have you in the studio next time and thank you so much for your time um say well thank you and uh, uh, thank you this is eye on education on afternoons with helen farmer with royal grammar school guildford dubai joining us in studio we are speaking to the educator this afternoon emma ledger is with today the principal at ranchers primary school and if you hear my northeast accent going up by about 40 percent, it's because we're basically neighbors back home emma lovely to have you with us how's the new term going Thanks, Helen. Um, yes, it's going really well. Um, it started off with a school inspection, oh, so great. that was great. Uh, so straight in there. So I've only been with the school for a term uh, prior to that, moving uh, to Dubai here um, from Barcelona. Wow. So I've had a real uh, baptism of fire, let's say. That's interesting <laughs> when we talk about languages and, and yes. how they're presented around the world as well. So what kind of school were you teaching in in Spain? I was teaching at the British School of Barcelona, which is also a Cognita school. Wow. Okay. So I'm really curious about your take then on the importance of language education and I guess what that looks like at Rancher's Primary. Can you, can you maybe explain what, yeah. what, what's happening? Yes, sure. I mean, I think when you are in such a a diverse international setting as we are with um, such a broad range of cultures and nationalities, it really should be lying at the absolute heart of everything that you do. So um, whilst your your language provision is very important, I think that it's important also that you kind of really carefully craft your curriculum around this, this whole dynamic of having so many different nationalities and cultures in your school. I mean, we, we talk about diversity. I was just thinking earlier about some of even using my kids as an example and their friends. They can have parents who, who are two different nationalities. They're learning English at school. They might have a nanny who's speaking another language with them, you know, on and off. And then 
maybe, le- well, definitely learning Arabic as well. Just chatting earlier with Mary Gattel, speech and language, about some of the benefits in terms of cognitive function about about language. But it must be quite confusing sometimes as well. Yeah, and I, I think coming back to the cognitive function, can you just imagine how intelligent those children will be having had the opportunity to open all of those doors in their brain to access all of those different languages? And I think um, I think we probably overthink it a lot as, as adults because the children just absolutely take it in their stride. And the little sponges. Um, I know I feel, I, feel like I've, I feel like I've done my kids a disservice by marrying another Brit. I'm like, <laughs> we've, we've missed a trick there. We, we really are. Um, so we've obviously got language interwoven into the ethos and the curriculum of the school. Which, which languages are taught at, at Ranchers Primary? So we've introduced, so we, speak, we teach French and then we have Arabic and obviously the whole curriculum is immersed in English. Um, when children are showing particular talent how do you encourage that and in terms of you know as you say those those doors in the brains opening for things just to keep going and going um I think just like anything as we learn we need to have the opportunity to apply and apply the knowledge that we learn so if you find that a child is really engaged and motivated in in any area of learning but particularly with language um, it's about how the teacher can take that learning forward uh, in order to kind of deepen that that knowledge that that vocabulary base and and bring it to life I you know sitting reading from a textbook and and learning from a textbook all day every day Mm. is not going to necessarily engage the children so it's how we bring that to life that's really important you've got the gifted linguistics program how are you bringing it to life through that please tell me there's some eating involved and maybe some of course yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> of course um yeah so the reason why we thought of um of that particular title as well the gifted linguist is is just exactly what you started with them when we're talking about how amazingly intelligent our children are to even pick up like a second language, never mind. Most of them are speaking already two languages before they come to school. And I think it's kind of often seen, particularly in the UK, um, it's like we need to, to get the children caught up with their English. It's like almost if it's, it's a deficit that they don't have the English language if they're accessing the UK curriculum. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we really flip that, okay? So we see that actually this child, this parent is delivering such a gift to us because they're already embracing more than one lang- language. Um, and therefore, just to be able to learn this third or fourth or fifth language in some cases <gasps> no. is a real absolute gift for these, uh, for these children. And what a gift for us. So being able to put them at the heart of it and, and really enable them to have their sense of identity in the, in the whole, um, in the class, in the whole school, see themselves as part of a community um, is what we need to put at the heart of our program. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what we do. So it's, it's out with the schemes of work and it's in with the really creative thinking about those individual children and what their needs are. I always think if I could have a superpower, <clears throat> it would be to understand every language on the planet. I think it, I think it is such a gift in so so many ways and I'm curious to get your take next on what we can do as parents to support language learning when we don't speak the language ourselves Um, joining us principal of Ranchers Primary School Emma Ledger with us today had a message here saying a bit of a concern about teachers who speak English as a second or third language sure they're wonderful people but I worry about the building blocks of language you're going to be addressing that and I'm curious how is tech being integrated into language teaching talking about creativity there but what about the science side that's next this is eye on education on afternoons with helen farmer with royal grammar school guildford dubai 
joining us in studio, Emma Ledger, the principal of Ranchers Primary School. We're talking languages this afternoon. I'd love to hear from you on 4001. I had a lot of messages on social about this earlier. Do your kids like learning Arabic? Um, no disrespect to our many lovely Arabic teachers out there. I've had a resounding no on the text line. So I'm curious to get to the bottom of why that might be and ultimately what we can do as parents to support that. And I wanted to put that to you, Emma, about, you know, there's only so much that can be done in, in school. And we've been hearing earlier about, what, you know, just how enriching learning languages can be. What can we be doing as parents to, you know, really be on the same team as the educators with the language in mind? Um, yeah, it's really interesting. I think Obviously, if I just go back to the Arabic teaching and how we can be on the same page, I think that's crucial for us in in, in English school or where you're delivering the national curriculum Um, because our pedagogical approaches can be quite varied. The national curriculum, um, it's for me one of the best curriculums because it's least restrictive. I mean, we can, it's within our gift as a school to deliver it in whatever way we want to deliver it in order to to reach the the key objectives. Um, And I think the Arabic curriculum is a lot less... um, there's a lot less opportunity to be more flexible. So um, that rigidity, I think, sometimes can cause the, the issues. However, um, that pedagogical approach to delivering those objectives is where I think we can align and support. Mm-hmm. So um, where you've got that great practice within the school, it's about how you can support the whole team to be able to share great practice, um, to team teach, to build that confidence, to look at different approaches to delivering that may not have been part of the teacher training programme that the, the Arabic teachers had gone through. So, and I guess also a bit about our attitude is. <clears throat> parents as well you know trying to emphasize why there is value in learning subjects i'm not just talking about arabic specifically now whether it's oh i hate maths and you know my temptation is always go i hated maths too which is not that useful really it's not that aligned Yeah, yeah, and it is. It's about the environment, the whole learning environment. What does that look like for the child from from walking in? Have we still got the Victorian style classroom where the children are in rows? Are they still being given opportunities to collaborate and use that peer to peer support just as they do in in all areas of the curriculum? So it really is about educating all of your team to make sure. And, you know, we still have the same issues with with teachers from a variety of backgrounds. It's it's really about their commitment to making um, to widening those opportunities for, for the students. Emma Ledger with us today. Um, a message here saying, hi Helen, question re-language in school. When it comes to nursery care, um, I get concerned about teachers who speak English as a second or third language that while they're wonderful people and teachers, they don't speak English that well. I worry about the building blocks of language. This is the same reason I don't speak my fairly terrible Spanish with my child and prefer that she learn that from a native speaker. Am I nuts or misguided? Oh, um, yes, really interesting. I've I've dealt with this one for years. And and similarly, um, teachers with very strong accents as well, that may be English, but very strong accents um, has always come up as well as as an area to discuss. Have you had to to, to bring down the Geordie a bit, Emma, over the years? Uh, I'm not talking about me. (laughs) I'm talking about strong Glaswegian accent Mm -hmm. that I had in one school. And honestly, the parents just absolutely loved loved this teacher. And I used to think, gosh, you know, these children are Spanish first language speakers. How on earth can they understand? Because I'm struggling to understand him. 
he's my neighbour from Newcastle to, to <laughs> Scotland. However, um, it, kids tune in. Mm-hmm. They tune in to the accents and, and I think it's the same. I think the question here, though, is not about the accent. I think the question is about the building blocks. And, and all I'll say there is, as an English uh, national... I definitely did not study the makeup of the English language oh as goodness. I was growing up as a child. My eight-year-old's getting English question homework yes. now, and I'm like, I don't know what you're, no. what you're asking me to identify in this sentence. We were not taught the spelling, punctuati- punctuation and grammar as it is now currently embedded in the national curriculum. Mm. So I don't actually know fundamentally what those building blocks are naturally. I have to... Research that. Whereas if you're a second language learner, or in this case, three or four different languages, you are so in tune with that linguistic build-up that actually um, you are probably better placed mm-hmm. with these children in nursery to make sure you structure your approach really, really carefully. Yeah, that's very interesting in terms yes. of being, you know, consciously correct yes. rather than probably it's a bit like driving like you, we pick yes. up bad habits along yes. the way interesting about the accents we were just talking mm. earlier about you know why our children get certain accents and that kind of dubai yes. dubai english yes. i mean youtube is the answer for my children 100 unfortunately <laughs> um but yeah do you, what, what have you noticed in school you're like where's this come from Yes, I mean, I probably go back even to my own children. They were 10 and 12 when we moved from, from the northeast of England to Barcelona. And now my daughter's here, she's she's 16, and she still speaks with a very, sometimes like almost that broken English kind of approach to because she's so multicultural. All of wow. her friends are from a variety of different backgrounds. And um, yeah, they just, and it depends who she's talking to. And, and these children will be the same. If they're mm-hmm. speaking with their family, they'll have one accent, they'll they'll want to make themselves understood yeah. and we all do it yeah so funny i just remembered my mum my mum and dad used to live here and then they moved to japan after dubai and my mum taught english and she's she's always said that there's a whole a whole group of japanese students who speak english with a belfast accent well, this is it <laughs> this is it, it is. It's but, great. But, but hopefully hopefully correct um well, let's talk tech um, because mm-hmm. I'm curious how this, especially with languages in mind, Emma, is being integrated into the classroom. Are there any great tools that you've identified and how do they work in in kind of collaboration with your human teachers too? Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a hot topic, isn't it? It's um, very much um, considered as language learners what apps do you use um it's a maths lesson which applications are using are you using and um really this goes back to how we can use technology creatively to to open those doors in the brain to to make us um more intelligent in those areas and for me it's about a creative use of technology so i yes whilst for the for the glp program we are exploring some specific language applications that the children can work through with their families so going back to the parents who don't necessarily have the english at home that's where the technology can certainly support um reading books in english electronically there's some fantastic applications for that but for me it's about how we can build the children's confidence in order to be able to communicate and if they can use their technology creatively to present their learning to research their findings to translate um, to find information about their their home countries or their cultures Mm -hmm. and put that in a format that they can then share with their peers that's where I would be more interested in seeing technology come to life rather than drilling into applications. Good point. Um, which brings me to ask: At Ranchers Primary School, how many how many nationalities have you worked out? Have you got? It is uh, eighty four. 
84 nationalities. Gosh, well, we've got International Day coming up at school soon. Yours must be interesting. My gosh, that's incredible. And this is going to, I'm so excited. So I I saw the the amazing National Day and how that came to life, brought about by our Arabic and Islamic team. And now here we are just to embark, just about to embark on the International Day. So we have our friends of ranches, so our parent body, and they are tasked. We've actually been talking about an underlying focus being very much around literacy. Mm. So how we can um, build more international books into our library and because we've got 83 different nationalities, we need to have the children should be reading books in their own language. Mm -hmm. That's what what brings the learning to life for them. Um, So yes, we will have as you say, we'll have our dances, we'll have our food, we'll have our entertainment, our music. I'm just I can't wait because I've been told it's mega. So yes. It's going to be amazing. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your passion for learning and languages. And I think it's really helpful to think about it being part of this big ethos of a school and making everyone feel seen, allowing children to have access to languages. I mean, I think what an amazing thing. What what an absolutely amazing thing for our children to be surrounded by so many different nationalities that, you know, if and when they leave Dubai, they can have friends all over the globe, you know, be exposed to food and words that... You know, if they were back home, that just wouldn't be the case. So thank you so, so much, Emma Ledger. (laughs) Emma Ledger, the principal of Ranchers Primary School. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. So much to talk about over the course of the afternoon. Um, And we are talking next all about Arabic. So we've had a couple of interesting messages on this. And I am kind of keen to get to the bottom of why it is a bit of a pain point for an awful lot of students and their families as well. Let me know. Um, And we've heard this from Arabic speakers. Um, You can get in touch on 4001. You've got the app and you've got the WhatsApp. You don't put your name on it if you'd rather not. And we thought we would go straight to the source. Um, Joining us, we've got Sajida Al-Bashir, who is an Arabic teacher at RGS. Thank you so much for being with us today. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you doing? I'm really well, thanks. Really well. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about why do you think students often find Arabic so challenging? Well, Arabic is a special uh, language with has lots of uh, different aspects. Um, Arabic is different from any other Latin um, language that is taught by many people. Uh, to start with the differences, it starts from right to left. When you write Arabic, this is the first skill we always teach our students to do by singing, by using our body language, is from right to left. So this is one of the differences. But also the phonics system in Arabic is totally different. We have hundreds of different sounds that we can form from the alphabet. So I think with these differences makes Arabic a little bit challenging for students and of course exciting for them to learn Mm -hmm. it. I think that's a really good point. And you know, my my kids are six and eight and when they started to recognize some some Arabic, you know, on the cinema, for example, or, you know, pointing out uh, road signs, and especially because I'm, 
atrocious at Arabic, despite being here 17 years to my shame. Um, I think they've really enjoyed it being like a code, like a secret language that mum and dad don't speak. And this is something that they can teach us. And that's been a massive boost in their confidence in those younger years. But full disclosure, and like many of the lessons we've had, you know, coming coming on, that that kind of enthusiasm has waned a little bit as as they've got older. Um, And we just heard there from Emma Legend, she was talking about the the difference in the curriculum as well. Is that something that you've noticed, that contrast? Absolutely. Uh, There has been lots of developments on the um, Arabic curriculum, the ways of teaching, um, how schools have uh, created the curriculums which suits their students, Uh, with the levels and different levels that the students start to learn Arabic at. Some of the students, they are new to the language, new to the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So here in RGS, we have created a whole course called um, Arabic N, New to Arabic. And in this course, with their teachers, they learn the basics, the sounds, whether they are in year three or in year eight. As long as they are new to the language, they have the right to learn the basics, to be able to go back to the class and learn with the rest of their forms. Uh, but also the amount of work has been done to improve the Arabic teaching, the methodology, uh, the key terms, how to uh, teach the phonics, how to teach spellings, how to teach the topic as a topic, not only to teach them as lesson. Mm-hmm. It's a whole pack of work, which makes sense for the students. Can I ask then, as I said, embarrassingly, I'm not able to help them with their Arabic homework, but you know, it can be, it can be really useful when parents and teachers are on the same team. And I wondered if there were any resources, any advice you'd have for non-Arabic speaking parents to help support their children's learning journey in this subject in particular, Sajida. Amazing uh, question, Helen. The first thing I would say, the students themselves, they are the main source for you as parents. I always tell the students, go home and teach mom and dad what you have uh, learned in the class. So the first one is the human resources. What they have learned, they can just transfer it into home. Uh, But also there's lots of interactive uh, online platforms, especially during COVID and after COVID. If COVID has done something good for us, it's the platforms and technology and uh, innovation that happened in teaching. There is lots of uh, language learning apps. There's the the virtual simulations, gamification. All the competitions happen towards learning Arabic, um, podcasts, I ask my students to listen to a song, to watch a a clip or a video that all may not make them fluent in Arabic, Mm. but the beauty of listening to the language itself. A message here from Al saying, my kids are both both quite good at Arabic, but both say it's their least favourite subject. I've often asked them why and never had a good reply. I wonder if it can be sounding quite aggressive or it's an intimidating language because it's so different. Um, so that's an interesting point. What about opening up any, you know, integrating cultural aspects? Um, you know, what, what else can you do in class? We, you know, we had Arabic week at school just before Christmas and it was, you know, watching movies and there was, you know, some dance, you know, really bringing it to life. Is that something you've been doing at RGS as well? Absolutely. Look, you want to, uh, to bring the language to life. 
you have to put it in a cultural context. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense for the students to sit mm -hmm. in that class learning something they will never use, they will never go back to, they will never practice. Languages is about practices. Uh, whether they watch a movie, um, this is the way I've learned English, to be honest. Like I taught myself English. Wow. I used to watch the videos and the films and the movies without reading the script. And I forced myself. I always bring this story to my students. I have taught myself English. And then I was able to do my master's in English. And all of my teaching is in English. That's so it's about incredible. the culture. What about um, holidays and immersive um, experiences as well? Is that something you, you can have some fun and success with? It's absolutely amazing. When I ask my students before they travel, whether in Christmas or in uh, any, any other holiday, I always tell them, try to embed what you have learned in class. So if the unit was about traveling around the world and you have traveled with your parents, starting from booking your tickets, to go to the hotel, to go to the airport, ordering a taxi, try to practice what you have learned in Arabic. Uh, whether you have uh, traveled to an Arabic country or an Arabic country, just practice. Don't be shy mm -hmm. of saying it. Um, the other day, I was at the uh, parents' cafe trying to order my, my coffee, and the group of parents were standing, and one of them said, oh, I've started to learn Arabic. And one of the friends said, you should, you should test yourself with Mrs. Al-Bashir. <laughs> and he started to say it. It was absolutely amazing. Yes, the, some of the pronunciation was incorrect. But he, should, he was very proud of himself that he has learned and started the journey. Absolutely. I think that's such an interesting point. And a message from Kelly saying, you'll never be short of someone to practice with. People are yeah. always impressed that me and my daughter speak Arabic as blonde-haired, blue-eyed well women. But I think, that's, I think that's such a good point, you know, that um, we had this at the Omani border when we went over at Eid, you know, the kids just saying, you know, hello, how are you? Thank you. And they were yeah. so charmed and charming to, to see expat kids just, just having a go. Uh, Sajid Abashir, thank you so much for sharing your time and obviously your passion for this. Thank I mean, you. you teaching yourself English. I mean, we're talking about Arabic being difficult. English is next level. I think you're absolutely amazing. So thank you, thank you so much thank for you. being shukran. with us. This shukran. And that, that's about thank as good you. as it gets for me. But maybe I should message you privately okay. about some lessons. <laughs> but that is the plan. Next time we go out for some food, um, next time we, uh, we head down to Kakal Manara on, uh, on Al Wassel, the kids are going to be ordering. They can, they can order their mamash as well. So Get them involved, guys. And thank you so much to all of the educators that have joined us during the course of the afternoon. That was Eye on Education. I'm Helen Farmer and you can catch us live on Dubai Eye 103.8 every single Thursday afternoon.